Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Julie Cass. Julie Cass has worked in the health and wellness industry for over 20 years. She is the former CEO of Hockley Valley Resort. Hockley is a family-owned resort that is striving to be the greenest resort in Ontario, Canada. Julie is also the founder and CEO of the Positive Change Group, a consulting business focused on bringing wellness to the workplace and building a great company culture. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. We're looking forward to diving in. So um, I wanted to start out by hearing a little bit of, of your story by way of Hockley. Uh, Hockley's, uh, we mentioned, a family-owned resort uh, started by your parents. And could you just walk us through the story of, of how you came to be the CEO of Hockley and what that was like? Yeah, we, so we was 34 years in the family and uh, my, my parents purchased, it was a piece of land about 45, well, maybe 15 minutes outside of Toronto in um, a place that's kind of off the beaten path. And um, at the time, it was just a bankrupt, decrepit inn that had a couple, a few ski hills, I think actually two T-bars and a couple rope toes at the time, and a 28-room, I would call it more of a hotel motel, but it was um, bankrupt and um, kind of really decrepit. And fast forward sort of 34 years, we went through a huge evolution and, you know, employed thousands of employees. We built the first um, winery actually under the brand of my maiden name, Adamo State Winery, um, which won international awards really quickly. We uh, built in, I'm, I'm kind of, my timeline's a bit screwed, but we, we um, built a spa back in 2001. Um, and as a resort, we were really kind of leaders in that industry because when spas were becoming popular in Canada, we didn't want to have it kind of second nature and sort of put in a basement. We really built a 10,000 square foot spa with presence, it was a huge um, project because we wanted it to be more of a destination. And, um, you know, it was a phenomenal, it was a phenomenal business and it still is. And um, I'm, I was proud to be part of it. I grew up in the industry. I think I did every single job there growing up as a kid from ski instructing to waiting tables to selling to even working in the dish pit because, you know, we sort of believed in, in being in the trenches and experiencing everything so you could relate your staff and your team. My personal journey uh, was growing up in the business. I opened uh, the spa, ran it, and then I actually left as well um, and started my own consulting practice for 10 years and um, then went back after the 2008-9 recession. Years, a couple of years after that, it was, it was a real hard hit to the industry and, and even to our business. So I went back um, just to really help drive the business forward. Um, and then just this past March, we actually sold it after 34 years, but um, we sold it on a high, which was good. We wanted to walk away when 
when things were good rather than out of desperation or, you know, as a, as a need, it was more of a want, I would say. Does that make sense? Yeah. No more free daily massages though. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So there is something to be said about the shoemaker's son with no <laughs> shoes and you're actually in the industry. You don't do it as often. <laughs> you're too critical. So yes, no more free massages though. <laughs> you're, you're shattering, you're shattering my fantasy of owning a spa. So. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. <laughs> when you when you took over the leadership of Hockley, you were focused on integrating social and environmental considerations into the business. Mm-hmm. Um, what were your personal motivations for doing that? Uh, I I believe, and I you know, and I teach this today. I believe when you're in a leadership role, you have a huge responsibility and. It is beyond bottom line. It always has been for me. My, my personal drive and want and desire is to help people and really for them to actually see greater than maybe they can see within themselves, like to believe in them maybe even more than they can believe in themselves. And my biggest thing was motivating, empowering a team and being able to achieve results because you actually believe in the team and, and the, collective vision that that team can bring is way bigger than you can bring as a leader, if that makes sense. So that's always been, I think leadership has always been such a thing near and dear to my heart. And it's what drives me. Um, I think you can just create magic as, as a group. And I'm a big believer as a leader too. It's, it's not, you know, it's, it's a different style of leadership today, I think, than what worked five years ago and what worked 10 years ago. It was a different style of leadership that I had to encompass than my mom did when she was running the business because what worked back then just doesn't work now. Um, and I think it's really, it's, it's people first. It's, it's looking at, and it's funny, I teach organizations this now, is look beyond even the paycheck and the exchange of just money between the employee and employer, but look at them as a whole, as a whole person, as a holistic approach. And the bottom line will come when you do it in that order. I've seen huge results when you do it that way versus just about numbers. Yeah. And at, at, at Hockley Valley Resort, you implemented some pretty wide ranging environmental practices. Can you talk about what those were? Uh, Also, I would, be curious to know if you had any pushback from your family or other stakeholders. Yeah, well, you know what? I think it's an obligation today. I have kids um, and I look at our sort of future and I think that it's an obligation today for for companies to be um, environmentally responsible and it might cost more. You know, we had, like I was I was um, saying, like just in our ski cast, so we, we have a ski resort as part of it and just in that cafeteria where you look at um takeout containers and disposable plates and cutlery and the garbage that that can produce and that's one restaurant that's one cafeteria is to me a little bit insane so you know it costs more to have everything green and compostable from everything from the forks to the holders that the ketchup goes in to the plates and everything being compostable, you know, if you're looking at bottom line, you're not necessarily going to 
invest in that. But I looked at it, and my brother as well, we both looked at that. Well, even the users, it's primarily kids, and it's primarily teens and families that are using those services. So even just to be consciously sharing that message, when people see that everything's compostable that you're using, my hope is not only the impact that would have maybe on the landfill, but also just on awareness of your consumers and what they maybe will do differently at home um, and some of the choices it might inspire them to make if a restaurant's making those choices. And why is composting costly? <laughs> I, is it just that the plates and forks cost more or is there more to it? I would say it probably could be double to triple for every fork and plate and um, takeout container that you use. Okay. So if you're just looking at the bottom line, you're not going to purchase that. You're going to purchase your, you know, regular um, sort of items. But then, you know, it's interesting too, because when we look at convenience and we're a world of convenience and, you know, you look at things like uh, takeout is on a rise with, you know, things like Uber Eats and all of those. It's, it's, to me, I'd be more inclined to go with a restaurant that's thinking environmentally because I, I or I, I just wouldn't order it because I don't want to have that impact on the environment. Yeah. Right. I agree. So I, actually, I think it sends um, yeah, a message to your consumers as well. Yeah. I, I brought my own mug to Starbucks last week. I think mm-hmm. everybody thought I was a bit weird. But um, I, I, I want to maybe drill down here because through the lens of composting, perhaps there isn't a correlation between social impact or environmental impact and then financial success. Um, but do you think there was another way that initiating the, the composting uh, helped your brand value or helped your business in, in another way so that it could be more successful? Um, I like to think so. I like to think that people want to do business with people who are environmentally conscious. Um, you know, I think that like obviously recycling and, you know, we really, one of the things that I wanted to do in a bigger capacity um, is, is doing more things digital because even just the paper function within the resort is, you know, we, we would go through a lot of paper and it used to drive me crazy. I mean, not just the cost of that paper, but just technology being able to keep up and us being able to adapt to go a little bit more paperless within organizations as well, because, you know, an organization of that size, you can generate a, a ton, a ton and ton of waste. So it's being conscious on all of the assets. I think the bigger impact was, yes, when you look at compostable products that the customer can see is great, but it's also those internal processes that you put in place that, you know, your staff even will drive that because they don't want to see the waste. Um, So I think that's a good thing, actually. I think it's good that it comes from top bottom and bottom up as far as just that collective consciousness to be more environmentally responsible. Um, in, in every way, you know, even just with our, I know when we first built the hotel too, we did, um, ground source, um, heating, which was just had a better impact on the environment. You used less, you know, um, energy in order to heat the building. Um, we never really did solar panels. We looked into it. It just wasn't efficient. Um, but you know, you try to do it in, in every way you can. And I think, um, building a building from scratch today if we had that opportunity we would have done it differently and when we actually built the winery we did it differently we did it with icf construction because it was just a lot easier to heat and cool use less energy 
um, than sort of traditional builds, but it was more expensive to do that build as well. So, yeah, I'm curious how um, during the tr- uh, transaction process, um, the buyer for the resort did they give you credit mm-hmm. for that? What was their point of view on the environmental component? Was it sort of a nice to have, or was it central to their thesis? If you can share that. I don't know. I think it was probably more nice to have, to be honest with you. I think so. Um, I would, I love to think that that was central to the thesis, but I don't, I don't think so. Um, I think it was, there was sort of, for them, they probably looked at it more of um, just being a very diversified business, a diversified resort, probably one of the most, if not the most in Canada. Um, as far as all of the um, amenities that we, we had there from ski to golf to ski to spa to winery to corporate to weddings to leisure, that was probably a bit more of the appeal from a buyer's point of view. Let's turn to company culture. Um, you care deeply uh, about uh, your team. Um, you've mentioned a few times that the people were kind of driving success or that they even changed their habits um, and followed your lead in certain initiatives. Um, what do you think defines a good company culture? Oh, that is such a great question. And I think great company culture at the end of the day is people who want to actually be there. Like it's, it's got to be a positive environment and, I think great company culture is where respect and integrity are at the core, where individuals are valued for who they are and their opinions, where they feel safe to be themselves and to be self-expressed, where there is opportunity, obviously, for growth. Um, But that, yeah, like it's, you know, we spend a lot of time at work. We spend a lot of time with the people that we work with, sometimes more than with our family and I think for people to feel safe and valued, and I think as humans, we need to feel valued. We need to feel like we're contributing. And I always look at my employees as people holistically, not just as performing a job function, but in just, you know, even like, I, I, you know, and I coach leaders on this. I'm like, you know, is it appropriate to know more about your employees than just, you know, what job they're doing? I think we need to know a little bit more. We need to understand a little bit more about their home life and about their situation and being able to adapt as a leader to accommodate our, our staff and our employees. And and I think just an environment of learning um, is, is so important too. But I, I could go on and on about it, but I, I think... I, I, I've always said this. I think when you walk into an organization, you can feel energy and you can feel if the team are happy to be there and want to be there and if they work cohesively and you can feel when there's dysfunction. Um, and I think when you can raise the consciousness just um, by leading by example, but also just investing your, in your team in a holistic way, I think it really shows and I think you can feel it. You can feel it as a consumer too. Yeah, a lot of people say that Oh, you know, work friendships are different from regular friendships, but the research that we did when we started Appreciate My Company showed that the majority of people actually say that some of their best friends were made at work. And well, yeah, I'm, yeah. Right. And so they're really looking for this um, 
relational component to their workplace, which is more an emotional culture dynamic. Yeah. Um, you know, the other aspect of culture is sort of like, how should you act, you know, treat customers first or, you know, we win as a team or, or those kinds of like competitive kind of how should I act on a daily basis is, is one aspect of culture, but a big missing part of culture today with a lot of companies is just um, how do people feel? And, mm-hmm. and do they feel like the people around them are supportive or, um, you know, or, or, or not? I mean, it really is important to, to know more than just, um, you know, Susie's supposed to make sure that this job gets done every day. Right. And, you know, make sure you're checking all the to-dos on the to-do list and, you know, and that, then you're valued. And, you know, I was, I was just talking to actually some of my YPO colleagues and, I think one of the things that we are missing and we're seeing a breakdown in society is community. And, you know, even the way um, developments are built, you don't have that community hub as much anymore. And, you know, the way we shop, like we're, we're in the holiday season and just even the way shopping happens now, it's a lot of it's done online. And there's pros and cons to that, but we are missing connectivity and we're missing a sense of community. And I think as leaders and organizations, we have, um, and we probably need it now more than ever, is to create that sense of community um, at work. So that's a big piece around culture is it feeling like it's a community and feeling like it's a place where you belong because we're losing that in society. It's, you know, I I always love going to, my, my background's Italian and my parents were born there and immigrated over here when they were young. And every time I get a chance to go back to Italy, I'm always inspired because, and even there, you can see it shifting and changing. Um, but you see these communities that are built and they've got a piazza and it's like a central meeting place and people go. And, you know, I always say like, you know, people work to live, not live to work there. And it's important that connection and that community. And, you know, whether you're 70 years old and you're meeting your paisan for an espresso in the piazza, there's connection, there's community, there's a central hub. And in North America, it's a little bit different. In Canada, it's different. Like, we're not building communities like that anymore where there's that central hub. So I think if you can feel like a place of belonging at work, I think that's becoming even more important now. If that makes sense. Yes. Was there anything that you did at Hockley to build a community? I know you were seeking to kind of elevate the business and, and thinking deeply about uh, your your employees. Mm-hmm. So we do and still do this. Um, I think any opportunity you have to do um, some sort of a team building. Uh, I, we're big. We're big foodies, so we always believe every chance you can break bread with your staff is, is a great way to actually bond. We would do not just you know it's, it's beyond the recognition programs. We have recognition programs where. We would obviously um, recognize um, employees, but we also did, you know, we had a staff of over 300 people and we would always do, oh my goodness, I would say sort of every two months or quarterly events where we would have a big meal and invite everybody to a huge lunch. Um, we would do a holiday, big, massive um, buffet spread where we would do that at the same level we would do our VIP clients, like all out. I mean, you, you know, from everything, like, you know, kind of not cutting any corners. In fact, probably investing even more because it's our team. So 
we always tried to do things like that. And then it would encourage, because we had a lot of businesses within our business, those were more on the bigger scale thing, whether it was family events or team events and, you know, um, big holiday parties and Christmas dinners. But we also encouraged it within the department um, that they would do team building. So whether our ski team, I mean, our ski team, our instructors were over 100, you know, that um, we would in, encourage those sort of smaller events within each department, like and encourage the leaders to say, you know, it's not enough to just have your employees show up to work, but what are you doing beyond and how are you elevating and motivating and making them feel connected. So whether it was events on site or off site, we were always very supportive of that kind of activity so that they could, um, you know, sort of feel inspired and just, and also shake up routine a little bit because you can, you can kind of become robotic just coming into work every day and then leaving. So I think it's always important to kind of shake it up a little bit too. Yeah. Sometimes bringing in motivational speakers, sometimes just, um, I know for me, cause I'm a big health and wellness advocate. I would do a lot of lunch and learns myself where I would, you know, do um, talks just about sugar and the impact of eating too much sugar, what that would have and um, how to eat high energy foods, how to, you know, self care and how to make that a priority, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that in the financial crisis uh, after 2008, Hockley took a hit. Um, mm-hmm. You succeeded in bringing it back uh, as as the at the head of the company. Um, what factors contributed to that success? Mm. So one of them I would say is remembering who we are. And as a business, um, it's great to diversify, but you also don't want to lose focus on, um, on, on who you are. And we are a resort and we are about experience and we are about really creating phenomenal experiences for our guests and creating an experience of it feeling like a home away from home where hospitality is at the forefront and people felt welcomed, like they felt like a guest in our home. And so it was bringing that energy back and sort of focusing on building the the business in the sense of wanting people to, whether it was extend their stay or um, focusing on the fact that we are a hotel um, and we have all of these amenities, but the idea was to really our customer base was to come and experience us. And the way you can experience us in the best way is to spend a night or two and then experiencing the services that we have to offer. So, I would say a big thing for me was refocusing the team on that, um, de- differentiating ourselves by giving that exceptional service experience as well. So implementing service training, building service training manuals that were unique to Hawkley, um, you know, creating a culture around service. And I really think employees want to do a good job. I'm a big, big believer in that. I think people want to show up to work and they want to do a good job. But I think we have to also help by giving direction. And it's hard sometimes where there's not that leadership component or if it's fragmented. So I was really big on putting programs in place for training, um, training programs and also refocusing efforts on our marketing. And one of the things I have to give my family credit to is when we were in recessionary times and we've gone through a few, um, you know, the early nineties was no exception. That was a hard recession is we always reinvested back in our product. And that was a big thing. So when a lot of companies, especially in hospitality, 
were maybe pulling back because things were tight, we actually borrowed money and reinvested in our product because we believed in it. So we were renovating when other people were cutting back. And it was risky, but that really helped make a make a difference for us long term, for sure. Got it. So after leaving your role as CEO of, of Hockley, you went on to found Positive Change Group. Uh, can you tell us mm-hmm. a little bit more about your vision for that organization? Yeah. So um, really, my passion has always been about health, wellness, but empowerment at the heart and soul of that. And I loved the impact I was able to make within Hockley and within the team. And really, my vision is to have that actually be able to go greater and beyond just one business, but across many um, and also individuals as well. Um, but with organizations and for me, understanding and being in the shoes of being able to run an organization and understanding that bottom line is a factor. And I get it. And at the end of the day of business, you know, we do need to create income. We do need to have a bottom line. But what I, what I love and my impact that I want to have is the more bottom line you, you, well, the more you invest in your team in a holistic approach, the reality is your profits will actually show. And with more profitability, you can actually do more good in the world. And I'm a big believer in giving back. I'm a big believer. You know, we were always, that was a big focus of us at Hockley as well. It was, um, it was bringing awareness, not only donating money, but bringing awareness to um, a lot of our local um, organizations um, that need uh, help and that do a heck of a lot of good every single day and really save people's lives, whether it's women's shelters or hospices is just, you know, obviously a bit different, but creating a beautiful environment when someone is passing. um, And that can be really hard for families to deal with and also healthcare and our local hospitals. Um, So for me, I think organizations have such an opportunity and I love working with, with leaders and with teams who want to really create positive impact, not just on their employees, but when their employees are in a healthy mindset, that has huge ripple effects to all the people in their life as well. So that's my big vision. If someone can come to work and they can be empowered and they can, um, you know, invest in themselves and maybe figure out the tools because that organization has helped give them the tools for self-empowerment and, and self-help and care and making them a priority rather than being a martyr or having to sacrifice self, um, that has huge ripple effects through their family and their family's family. And I think one person at a time, when we feel better about who we are and we invest in ourselves, we make the world a better place. Um, and I was, you know, it's, it's interesting. I always was, maybe my modeling was work hard, work hard, sacrifice, and you'll get ahead. And I get it. That's what my parents had to do. But I'm a big believer that actually if you sacrifice self, it comes out sideways eventually. So when you're selfless by putting yourself first and not compromising who you are or giving up your own self-care, you have more to give. So that's my big passion. Do you feel like the trend's moving in that direction or or do you see that this is um, a sort of activity that is needed to counteract trends going in the opposite direction? I think both and such a great question. I think we have, if you look, there's such a rise of anxiety and mental health and, um, you know, we're dealing in it. We're dealing in tough times, you know, and, and 
there's a blessing and a curse with technology. Um, technology has made things easier, but it's also created huge disconnection in society. Um, and I think it's, we're seeing the effects of that. And we need to now have different tools to be able to navigate. We need to have tools. Like I, I don't, I think, how do I say this? But years ago, like I look when my parents were running the business, you could work hard and sacrifice. Today, if you sacrifice self, it's detrimental because we need those coping mechanisms. We need those tools to feel good mentally um, in order to not survive, to thrive. And I think we need to go from sort of survival to thriving. And, and I really feel at the core, our purpose is to experience joy and happiness. And that is a huge mission of mine is how do you feel joy and happiness every day? And how do you create abundance around joy and happiness? So it's not a scarcity mentality, but you actually have so much joy that you want to spread that with other people. And I, and I think that's possible. I know that's possible. And I think you can be really successful when you, you know, put that at the forefront. And as leaders, we have such an opportunity to share that with others. We really do to kind of emulate that behavior. To me, what's really resonated is the concept of servant leadership, which is exactly what you're saying. It's, you know, how, how can you serve the people that work for you and, 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 not, and your customers um, and kind of go beyond the, the old paradigm of, of leadership? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, it fights the trend of, you know, all of the, the challenges that you brought up, but also you know, we do live in a time where burnout is at an all-time high and yeah. I think now more than ever, these these strategies are needed. Can you give us an example of a, a leader that you've worked with? Oh, well, I mean, I, I love companies that, I think one of the things, because I, I do a lot of coaching with different companies, and one of the things I think companies are recognizing um, is that, you know, I, I'm like, what's the biggest thing you're trying to achieve? And a lot of people are saying work-life balance, work-life balance. Um you know, I was just doing a presentation with a school board and, you know, you look at teachers today and I think teachers have it really, really difficult. And that's a huge passion of mine is actually to work with teachers and principals and vice principals. And we were talking about this the other day and it's like they are in such a leadership role and the impact that they have on kids today um, has ripple effect to future um, but if our teachers aren't taking care of themselves and our teachers aren't understanding how to, you know, again, have the tools for health and wellness and mindset, mindset, and I call it brain training, is probably the most important thing. I put that at the top of when I'm coaching people on health and wellness, I would say brain training is probably the most important thing we need to do in our society today. Um, because when you have a healthy mind, when you have a healthy outlook, when you think positively, um, that changes everything. And I think that's what our kids need today. I think that's what our high school students and our, and our just students in general. So that was a big thing for me is just working with, with teachers. That was, uh, you know, just the other day, I'm really passionate about that because those are our future leaders. And I think if their sense of self-worth today is based on how many likes they have on social media or who Snapchatted and who didn't, um, how many responses they, they got, it's, it's depressing if you really think about it. And yet that's the paradigm we're kind of living in versus self-awareness being tapping into 
knowing your own greatness, regardless of what the world is saying, is believing in yourself first and foremost. Um, so I'm really passionate about that. And to your point, Ed, I think it's become a necessity. Like I think it's it's going to become an increasing necessity to have that kind of coaching. And I call it tools in our toolkit. I know for me, I wouldn't be able to be where I am today if I didn't have my own tools in my toolkit. Um, whether that's self-reflection, whether it's journaling, whether it's meditating, whether it's, you know, going and working out, um, taking time for me, there's no way I could be the mom I am and the leader I am and the coach I am and the wife I am today if I wasn't doing those things to take care of my mindset. Okay. So final question for me. If, if I was a, a leader just sort of starting to think deeply about like company culture, social impact, a lot of these issues that you rose, what would be like your, your easy one, two, three, first three steps that, that I should take to help create a better environment for my team and create more of a culture of wellness at my company? Oh my goodness. That's such a great question. Okay. So, um, I think first is connecting with your employees, your key leaders and, connecting with your key leaders to understand what motivates them, what drives them, um, what gets them out of bed in the morning, um, how they want to be supported. And because I think sometimes as leaders, we think we know, but we get actually the best information from our team and connecting with them and hearing from them. Because if you've got your key leaders, and depending how big your organization is in the structure you have in place, you got to work with your key leaders first. And then those key leaders are going to have ripple effects and you're going to set that culture that goes down throughout the organization. And I think this goes beyond um, having a gym in the workplace. This goes beyond vacation time. I mean, all of those things are important um, as well. It's, it's actually giving them the tools. So the first thing would be connecting. And the, the second thing, I mean, I'm a big believer in this, is actually investing in their education beyond just what their job functionality is. So their education in what are their tools to be able to cope? What are their tools to be able to survive and thrive? Or sorry, not just survive, but to thrive. Um, I think investing beyond, I know a lot of, um, and I'm not saying this is a bias, but I know a lot of organizations are investing in health coaches for their team or business coaches. Um, and a business coach is great, but I think more of a holistic approach to that because we're all connected. So when we look at an employee, and we want to elevate culture. And if we're just looking at the performance that they have at work, that's connected to what's going on in their own health and wellness, that's going on in their relationships at home, what's going on into their home environment. I mean, we're, everything is connected within our life. So I think it's, again, investing beyond just what that job is and maybe providing opportunity for them to get that kind of training um, and awareness. That would be a big thing. I'm also a big believer in communication. The one thing I would look at in an organization is how are you communicating with your team? Um, you know, if you look at a relationship and a healthy relationship, it's always about communication. If you look at a healthy relationship with your partner, when you're not communicating, you feel that disconnect. You feel that breakdown. It's the same with our team. What kind of channels of communication do you have in place? How do you keep that going and consistent? So, that there is this constant flow and share of not just ideas, but also just of staying connected to knowing what's going on in their life. Um, and, you know, I don't mean necessarily being best friends with everybody. I think that's really difficult. 
But I think it's connecting um, and keeping communication and investing in them beyond just what their job function is. I think that's huge. Um, And honestly, I I think if you're a good person, which I do believe we all innately are good people, um, people want to work with you. People want to be around people who are positive. So it's an attractor factor. If you're positive and you're happy, people want to be around that. It elevates them naturally. I I think our listeners love to have some advice and takeaways. And those were three, three things that they can tangibly integrate either into their businesses or frankly, their lives, as you say, having a positive mindset and having a positive spirit. And we've been really grateful for your positive spirit today on our podcast. Thank you so much for being with us and we wish you lots of success. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here as well and keep doing what you are doing. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it was great today. Great energy. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.